And here we go. Live to tape. Welcome to Millennials Season 3, Episode 27. I'm Andrew. I'm Elisa. And I'm Laura. You know, 27 divided by 3 equals 9. <gasps> um, what does that mean? I don't know. I just thought that that was very fitting. This is going to be a <laughs> politics-heavy episode. I don't know. I've got math on the brain, okay? <laughs> I'm getting ready to buy a house. <laughs> um. It's going to be a politics-heavy episode. So much has been happening this past week. Uh, really, the past day. I think most of our news <laughs> is actually just from the past 24 hours. <laughs> so we're going to talk about all of that. Um, but actually, to help cover some of this, Laura and Matt recorded a special mini-episode, didn't you, Laura? Yeah, we did. Um, we decided that so much shit had happened as of halfway through the week, that we decided we wanted to record a little mini-sode, try and get some of it out of the way, so we weren't stuck covering all of it on the show this week. Um, so it's just me and Matt spending about 25 to 30 minutes shooting the shit, you know, talking about um, the Senate voting yes to debate the repeal and replace uh, Obamacare plan, but then, like, you know, shortly after we did that, they uh, voted down the repeal plan. So, you know, it kind of ended up being out of date within 30 minutes of being posted, but it's still fun to listen to. Get a little bit of midweek analysis. Mm -hmm. And, and they're moving. I mean, that's the point too. The Senate mm -hmm. is moving hard, trying to get something done here. So we'll see if they do. Doubtful. Speaking of uh, moving, they, they did sign that sanctions bill passed 98 to two. And we're going to talk about that in After Dark today, because we have so much other stuff to discuss, including um, we have a couple more confessionals this week related mm -hmm. to the millennial email that pissed off literally all millennials on the planet. <laughs> <laughs> I was sad I missed that episode because <laughs> that email was something else. So we have a little more feedback on that. Um, Laura, how was your weekend in Austin? I was picking on you last week. So how did that go? It was so good, you guys. Um it was just like, it was one of those trips where it was like, it was me doing my own thing. So I got to make all the calls. Um, on my way up, I talked to this incredible woman on the bus who told me about the last time that she rode a bus somewhere that her bus got stuck on train tracks and got hit by a train. And that she was oh, good. And that she was one of, of the passengers that was stuck in the bus after it had been hit by the train and that they got pushed to football fields down the tracks that like all her ribs were crushed and her legs were broken. Um, and she had to have all these surgeries, but like here she was on a bus and I was like, wow, this is a really intriguing yeah. person. So we just started Did she talking. get free Greyhound for life? Like why would she ever ride a bus again? Well, I don't, you know, this was, she, we were riding mega bus. This was like, actually what really made this sad was that she was on a tour bus that was taking her like senior center on a trip to like new Orleans, I think. So, like, it was all a bunch of really old people in this bus. And oh, a lot sad, of people yeah. didn't make it. But, like, I just thought she was so incredible. Aww. So, we kept talking. And it turned out that she was a, she was born in England. She was a GI bride. She was, like, telling me all these stories about, like, when she was a kid growing up um, in England, like, during, during airstrikes and, like, um, and, like, the Blitz and everything about how she got buried in a bomb shelter after an airstrike like blew up her home and shit. Um, and she just had like an incredible life. So that was a cool start to the trip. And then I went and got a massage and a facial, which was amazing. <laughs> it was so good. Yeah. Um, you and went to Austin and got a massage and a facial. This yes. is interesting. I mean, it was, okay. it was, it was a weekend of, cause I'm here on work. Right. And I just needed a break. Did you expense this to your work? No. You should. Uh, Could, wink, can't, wink. can't get away with that. They might notice that. Because uh, it, <laughs> okay. it was really fucking expensive, but so worth it. And then uh, after that, I went and hung out in downtown Austin on 6th Street, which is like the place to be. There's tons of live music and great bars and awesome food. 
I also went on a riverboat tour and got to go see the famous bat bridge and like watch like millions of bats fly out at dusk, which is like literally the most metal thing that I've ever seen in my life. It was so fucking cool. So yeah, long story short, it was a great weekend. Good, good. You didn't run into uh, the guy I'm Instagram stalking? No, I forgot about that, to be honest with you. Damn. (laughs) I didn't really care about it when you told me about it. So Okay. Okay. Little aside, I hate when women say, I got a facial. Why? Because well, because because that's gross, because you know what that can mean. And my mom sometimes gets facials and she'll tell me she's getting a facial and I'm like Wait, what what can it mean? I'm confused. You know what it means? Like a fucking no. money shot, Laura. Right on your face. Yeah, come on. I've it's never a heard um I have never heard a money shot referred to as a facial. All right, well go to Google oh, Image I Search have. and do facial XXX and see what comes up. Or you don't even have to put the XXX. If you put it in facial, I guarantee you, you will get pictures of buckets of cum on girls' faces. I'm doing it. I'm doing it right now. You know what? Uh, is my safe search on? Filter ex- no. So if safe search is off and facial returns, the that Laura's facial. But if you add XXX, oh boy. Of course. Well, I mean, <laughs> let, let me be clear. When I say that I got a facial, it was the latter. Oh. I mean, Just I like, assumed oh, I'm that. Sorry. Jizz all over the face. <laughs> no, I'm when kidding. You said, Laura, when, <laughs> when you said that you that you paid for a facial, I knew then that you met cum. I knew that, <laughs> that you paid for that. Elisa, Elisa, yeah. am I right? I mean, when you hear that, don't you always think that too? I, I actually, yeah, totally. When she said that, I laughed to myself and I was like, yeah, I bet you did. Yeah. Now, imagine, <laughs> n- now imagine hearing it from your mom every few months. I'm like, Ooh. well, your mom <laughs> means that same. Your mom means that too. Oh, <laughs> Yeah. I, I don't think she's it. paying for it though. If that makes you feel any better. Anyway, I'm uh I'm seeing some news here in the doc I didn't know about. Speaking of facials mm-hmm. and sexual oh. activity. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So who's uh, getting the facial in this situation? No one knows for sure. Probably everyone. Oh, I know. Laura. Laura has to be taught. So she's <laughs> on her back, and Elisa can aid Brian and 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 getting that milk train chugging. So long story short, um, Elisa and Brian are coming to visit me in September. Um, and I just, awesome. I don't know what's going to happen. I got to be honest. Well, it's probably going to be a lot of fun. I like how the doc says, will there be a foursome? <laughs> I think the will and the there should be reversed. There will be a foursome. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's great. So Elisa's going to be meeting... Laura's boyfriend for the first time, but Laura already met Brian, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, a yeah. couple of times. Yeah. Okay, of course, of course. Yeah, and uh, okay. the thing that's really funny about this is Brian and Mark have never met, but they like already think they're friends. Ugh, vomit. I know. It's it, like Mark asked me about Brian all the time. He's like, hey, what's Brian doing? I'm like, you don't know him. What? Yeah. It's really gross. Yeah. Yeah, it is. They're gross. gonna they're gonna leave us for each other. They are gonna leave us for each other, and and one day we're going to be like a fucking beaches commercial, and it's gonna be like the four of us out, like in some Adirondack chairs, sipping something with umbrellas in it, and just like the fucking bougiest thing ever. I I just foresee that for us. I really do. Yeah, and and. You're staying at Laura's, right? I, I assume yes. so. Yes. Um, I have the patio all ready for them. It's going to be great. <laughs> well, and Laura, in all seriousness, I was actually, it was on my mind yesterday or uh, today about me coming and taking you up on your offer to visit you for a little bit. So maybe I should piggyback on September, come in yeah. a day or two before or after. Come on down. Elisa's there. Yeah. Okay. Give me the really? dates. I might Where drive. Just... Why don't you come, Andrew, when we're there? Well, that's what I'm saying. Overlap a day or two. Oh, okay. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, for sure. 
Okay. <laughs> Can you imagine if I went like purposely two days after you leased? No, I, I, I honestly thought that's what you meant, and I I'm started sorry. like mean mugging you through my microphone. <laughs> so, Andrew, the only thing is, if you come at the same time, you're gonna have to decide if you want to sleep with Elisa and Brian or me and Mark. Um, depends who's gonna give me a or facial. Or me and Elisa. I mean, there's there's for sure going to be one night where we're going to make Mark and Brian sleep out on the foldout, and me and Elisa are going to be in my bed because, you know. Oh, no. Yeah. Definitely <laughs> me, Laura, Andrew, one bed, and Brian and Mark in bed. <laughs> we're going to walk out, and they're going to be playing footsies and feeding each other's cookies and things. And then we'll have to do a podcast the next morning figuring out who had the better night sleeping <laughs> together. <laughs> Okay, so let's move on. We have a couple of confessional emails. Both of these people shared their names, though. Uh, this first one's from Jemima. She says, or he, she, he, she, they says, hi, you don't have to read this on the show if you don't want to, but I just wanted to say to Laura, don't listen to that whiny confessional from last week who wanted to hate on you for being a millennial. By sharing your story of buying a house, you've inspired me to do the same. I live in Sydney, Australia, where the average house price is $1.2 million. Everyone my age has given up on the thought of ever buying a house because it seems so out of reach. I felt the same way until I listened to you talking about your experiences. Now I'm well on my way to buying an investment property in another city because you, you, Laura, showed me that it's actually an achievable thing to buy a house before you turn 30. So thank you. Oh, I'm that. so glad You're to an hear inspiration. that. That makes me really happy. I'm so happy for you. Yeah, congratulations. <laughs> Sorry. I had a little vomit in my mouth there. That's okay, All Elisa. Right. Um, you didn't have to, like, come up with a pseudonym to send this confessional in. <laughs> okay. This comes from Rosalie. Hi, guys. I listened to the last episode. I wanted to say thank you to Laura and Elisa for your responses to that confessional about how we millennials bitch and moan. I'm 29 with a doctorate degree in healthcare field with student loan debt that amounts to how much my parents' house cost them back in the 1980s. I make a six-figure salary with my full-time job alone, and I own my own car like my fellow listener. I'm also in the process of buying a home, but unlike a lot of people, I'm buying a home not only with the intention of finally leaving my parents' house, but also to benefit from the tax break that comes with being a homeowner. Anyway, I just wanted to say that the whole county thing makes a huge difference. Living in California, the cost of living can be ridiculously pricey, and it varies a lot depending on the county. I currently live in Los Angeles County, and even with my two jobs, I can't afford the close to $1 million townhouses and condos around my area. Mind you, these aren't mansions we're talking about. Some are attached townhouses. The home I'm buying in a more affordable county is actually bigger than those $1 million homes in LA, and it's $400,000 cheaper. Imagine that, how a border or county line can so easily make the difference in how much more you have to pay back over the course of 30 years. I wanted to add that hard work and planning is not always enough. My grad school classmate would definitely also agree with that. We've been out of school for three years now. She also works two jobs, which pay more than my two jobs, and she's having trouble saving up even 10% for a down payment to buy a house in L.A. County. I would imagine that that listener would probably see this rant as a complaint, but it's so, but it's more so an acknowledgement of some of the different better case scenarios, financially speaking, and the, and the difficulties that could still arise. To whoever that is, it must be nice to be a 27-year-old homeowner with no debt, but not everyone is lucky enough to have just worked hard to be in that situation. Love you guys. Rant yeah. over. I mean, th with that original email that stirred up all this, there was, there was definitely some luck. It's just maybe a different type of luck. I, I was just going to say, it reminded me a little bit of, you know, there's people who, people who say, you know, uh, the privilege is not telling is not telling folks that your hard work doesn't matter or that, that you didn't work hard, rather. When people say that white folks, for instance, have racial privilege, they're not saying that white folks don't work hard and don't deserve what they have. What they're saying is that your hard work was allowed to matter. 
that other people worked very fucking hard too, but it didn't matter as much because of prejudice and systemic bias. Um, so I yeah. would just say that this, this argument sort of about home buying, weirdly enough, kind of reminds me of that. Lots of people work very hard and the person who wrote in originally clearly did as well and she deserves that home that she has. But other people mm-hmm. work hard too. Sometimes that hard work just doesn't pay off in the same way. Yep. Well totally said. Totally agreed. I relate to this email because I was looking at property in LA, having lived there for nine years. I didn't necessarily want to leave. I still love California on a whole. But like Rosalie was saying, it was very expensive in LA County. But even in the counties now, I think it sounds like Rosalie's doing uh, better than I am. Six-figure salary. That's 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 great. Um, but even for me, outside of the L.A. County, yes, she's right. They are cheaper, but still pretty expensive compared to many other parts of um, the country. And, you know, she mentioned that um, one of her fellow students is one of her classmates was having to struggle putting down 10% down payment. I know somebody who bought a house with her boyfriend in L.A. County. It was $600,000. They had to put down 2%. And they somehow managed to put down 2%. They knew a realtor who was like giving them all the right info, connecting them with the right people. But now their mortgage is through the fucking roof. Uh Imagine putting down 2% on a $600,000 house. I mean, I think they're paying around $3,000 if not more. It's insane. Yeah. And to me... Now, she has a very good job in L.A., and I understand why she wants to live here and continue with her job. But to me, that would not be worth it. I mean, I'm in a position where I can move around, so I'm going to do it <laughs> and get more for less. <laughs> yeah, totally. Anyway, uh, we'll leave that discussion there. I know we've been talking about that the past few weeks. But congrats, Rosalie. That's impressive. Uh, moving on to the news now, like I said, we have a lot of politics to talk about. But first, I wanted to mention briefly... And this is political. Uh, Hillary Clinton announced her memoir's title. And <laughs> I thought it was worth mentioning. It's just called What Happened? No question mark. Just <laughs> What Happened by Hillary Rodham Clinton. <laughs> that title, also the title of many people's Sunday mornings. Am I right? <laughs> oh, boy. Stole that from Twitter. Anyway, I pre-ordered Hillary's book. I'm looking forward to reading it. It looks I thought this book was going to be about more than the election, but it looks like it's going to only be about the election. So that's cool. I like that, actually. Yeah, I pre-ordered it as well. I don't understand how she has the wherewithal to turn this around so quickly. I mean, the election was just like, what, eight months ago? Eight months ago, nine months ago, and that's that's incredible. If I if I were her, I would still be in going through like my stages of grief. I would still just be in my pajamas eating ice cream all day. Yeah, yeah, but yeah, see, I when you're too. Hillary I mean, Clinton, actually, if you take a break from life, then people are like, "Why is she out there fighting for us?" And then when you come back, people are like, "Sit the fuck down, Hillary. Nobody wants to hear from you anymore." That's her experience. Well, I look forward to reading the book. It is a, a surprising turnaround time getting this book out so quickly. And it's coming out September 12th. That's soon. I'm not so. surprised. Yeah, that is. I'm not at all surprised. Because she's a hard worker or because she wants to capitalize on the moment or both? I mean, both probably. But she is a hard worker. I mean, if you look at anything she's ever done, she's not a... She's not a slacker. Laura, do you want to take the next story? Yeah. So this has been the story that's been taking the internet by storm for the past couple of days. Um, President Trump announced on Twitter that he wants to ban transgender citizens from serving in the military. And his, his ultimate reason for this was citing high costs for their medical care. Um, this has been all over the place, all over Twitter, all over the news, all over Facebook. Um, and people started looking into the actual costs very quickly after seeing these tweets. So the Rand Corporation estimates that of the $49.3 billion defense budget, trans-related healthcare in the military costs between $2.4 million and $8.4 million. It's just a tiny sliver. And meanwhile... We heard that the military spends 84 million annually on Viagra. Right. 
So. <laughs> what the fuck? Yeah. And I mean, this is obviously reprehensible, right? I mean, it's, it's just another example of the way that trans people are often seeing their, like, their existence just sort of like questioned and, and yeah. their, their autonomy as human beings and their personhood questioned. And more largely, it's another example of how this administration is just shitting all over everybody who is not a cishet white male, right? And I honestly think that even though this is super, this is reprehensible beyond belief, I think it's just another distraction top tactic. I really do. I agree. From the healthcare debate. From the healthcare debate, from Russia, from all of it. Mm-hmm. Um, as evidenced by the fact, Andrew, what did the Pentagon say about the current policy? Yeah, well, the, the Pentagon came out pretty quickly and said that they didn't get a heads up about this before Donald Trump, by the way, announced this on Twitter on Wednesday morning. And it was funny for me because um, I was up early. It, it's sad, but it's true. I've come into this routine where I wake up around eight. And that's like normally around when Trump has at least tweeted a little bit by now. So I grab my phone and one of my first thoughts in the morning as I'm laying in bed is, all right, let's see what he's tweeted this morning. So I see him start out with this first tweet. The first tweet was a cliffhanger. It said, after consultation with my generals and my military experts, please be advised that the United States government will not accept or allow dot, 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 dot. And so I see this first tweet. And I'm like, I'm waiting for the next one. I'm sitting there laying in bed with one eye open, waiting, 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 waiting. Oh, and nothing comes. It takes 20 minutes for him to tweet out the next one. Well, I couldn't wait that long. So I close my phone. I go out. I'm like, all right, I'm going to go walk my dog. I come back, start making my coffee. I load up Twitter again. All hell has broken loose. Trump has <laughs> finished his multi-part tweet. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like, Jesus Christ, I just went to walk the dog. But anyway, yes. Yeah, so the Pentagon... Um, did not get a heads up about this before Donald Trump tweeted. And they said that um, they're saying now that the current transgender policy remains. Nothing, people aren't being pulled out of their positions. They aren't suddenly banning transgendered people from applying. Nothing's changing now because there hasn't, there isn't a, there isn't a firm plan. All there is is Donald Trump's tweets. Right. And for something like this to actually be codified and for the military to actually um, enact it, he would have to go through all the appropriate channels and, and the appropriate regulatory steps. There's an implementation process, and he would have to first, before even initiating that process, he'd have to talk to his Joint Chiefs of Staff about how best to implement uh, a transition like this. And I, the fact that he did none of those things, by the way, completely undermines his very first tweet which was after consulting with my generals and military experts, because clearly you didn't. The Pentagon had no idea that this was coming. Your joint chiefs had no idea that this was coming. So you didn't consult with fucking anybody. Like you woke up one morning, you know, and just decided to be an even bigger bigot, basically, and tweeted it out without telling anyone. So this is... This is discrimination in maybe the purest form that I've seen it so far from this administration. This has nothing to do with military readiness, with, um, with, with, with defense or public safety, because we have thousands of trans service members on active duty right now, fighting for us right now, fighting for that president, by the way right fucking now and and this they if if they meet all the qualifications they meet all the standards for serving so to say that they can't just because they're trans clearly has nothing to do with anything there's no substantive argument to be made it's not like you know they're they're not qualified or or anything like that they're already fucking serving they're already serving and 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 the idea that this is about not wanting to disrupt the military units um, is is also insane because it's more disruptive now. They're already serving. It's more disruptive to, right, to kick people, people out. out. 
Exactly. How do you how do you kick people out who want to serve their country, number one? And number two, how do you then claim that the reason for kicking people out and tearing apart units is because you don't want to disrupt the military? That's it's inherently disruptive to tear apart units. I don't understand how anyone buys this explanation. Given all this, it looks like this could end up being as flimsy as any of his other campaign promises that he's made. Mm-hmm. The other thing that I just found disgusting was a lot of the uh, discussion that was happening surrounding this on social media. I saw a lot of, why should my tax dollars go to pay for X, Y, and Z, or this sex operation, or whatever. And it's like, wait, wait, wait a second. Okay, if you want to decide that the healthcare of a trans person is your business, then all of a sudden the healthcare of anybody in the military should be your business. So what, are you going to sit there and, I don't know, ask whether your tax dollars should go to pay for somebody to have their blood pressure medication? Like, you don't, you don't get to do that. People sign up to go out and put their lives on the line for the country. You don't get to question what costs are related to their health care. You can sit the fuck down. And I hate that argument on its face whenever anyone brings it up. Because if you're going to say, well, why should I have to pay for X, Y, and Z and start parsing the federal budget down to the dollar, then anyone can say that. Why should I have to pay for wars that I disagree with? Why should I have to pay for public schools if I never have children? The reason, the answer to all those questions is because we live in a civilized fucking society and that is the social contract that we inherently agree to, that we put our tax dollars in one giant kitty and then we elect our leaders to decide how that money is used. But you don't get to just parse the dollars that way and say, oh, my money will only ever go to things that I personally agree with and love and support. If every American did that, we would have nothing, no roads, we would we would never defend ourselves militarily, we wouldn't have schools, we wouldn't have airports, we wouldn't have shit. Get over yourself. Sometimes taxpayer dollars go to shit you don't like. And by the way, um, some of our elected leaders have come out and said Trump was wrong mm-hmm. on making this statement, including John McCain and many others. So this is this is another reason why I think it's going to be an empty promise, because people are going to be fighting him. People at high levels are going to be fighting him on this. I also wanted to get feedback from many of our trans listeners, and I asked in the Facebook group, today if anyone wanted to give me some feedback last minute um ethan responded they said as a trans man i'm mostly afraid for what's next between this and the bathroom laws i'm really nervous for losing what rights we have and honestly it's not only what trump had to say because we all know he's an idiot but the thousands of comments of comments online agreeing with him I'm very lucky to live my life surrounded with support from my friends and my workplace, but this really just reminded me how so many people hate my community. TLDR, shit's getting scary, y'all. So thanks, Ethan, for sharing that. Um, Yeah, on one hand, yes, it is frightening to see all these people, particularly online and I'm sure on television to some extent. But on the flip side, I've seen a lot of people voice their support for the trans community um i know they're small signs of caring but you know these people who post the instagram photos saying trans people matter stuff like that you know there's there's a lot of support out there too so just keep that in mind and i also would like to add that (laughs) to ethan's point about trump being a liar uh the images of trump with the rainbow flag circulated around a lot yesterday Somebody handed him a flag that said, like, LGBT people for Trump. And he had held that up at some event during the campaign. And it's like, and he he looks so uncomfortable holding that flag. Like, there are a couple photos where just, you can tell he might not love holding it. (laughs) But, man. I just cannot even begin to understand what something like this must feel like. Mm Mm-hmm. Yep. Moving on to some other news, wanted to mention Trump and Trump's Trump's battling it out with his attorney general, Jeff Sessions. Um, and I just wanted to ask, what's more pathetic, Trump not being a big boy and firing the attorney general or the attorney general taking it up the ass repeatedly? Because both of those 
are uh, pretty embarrassing situations to be in. Yeah, I mean, I really, I kind of wish Sessions would walk. I'm glad that Sessions isn't walking. Really? Yeah, well, a lot of Republicans are saying now that, including Lindsey Graham, that he cannot leave because they are not going to hold hearings for another one. Oh, yeah, you're right. You're right. I'm just glad that Sessions isn't going, willingly at least, because someone has to stand up to, to Trump's, you know, just being... Just being so, I don't know what the word would be. He just, he doesn't, he, he never, he never settles on one person or one opinion for long. I feel like he's incredibly, um, easy to sway his, 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 his changing his mind all the time, not just about policy, but about people. And Sessions was one of the very first people to come out in support of Donald Trump. Sessions gave Donald Trump a huge amount of legitimacy while everyone else was still laughing at him. So Trump owes a lot to Sessions, and I'm kind of glad that Sessions isn't allowing him to just run roughshod all over him. And also for the sake of the Justice Department, I am not a, a, a fan of Jeff, Sesh- of Jeff Sessions by any stretch, but consistency is important in uh, a department, particularly a Justice Department. I mean, we're talking about uh, you know our nation's law enforcement. You can't be having a new head of that every few fucking months and think that our law enforcement will therefore have any consistency to it. It just won't. And what's it come back to? Loyalty. Because Jeff Sessions recused himself from the Russian investigation. He let down Donald. And Donald is once again forgetting that Jeff Sessions' loyalty should not be to the president. It should be to America. It should be to the Constitution. It should be to the law. I think what Trump fails to realize in in hating on on Sessions for recusing himself is that Sessions really did Trump a favor in that regard. It might not seem like it in a lot of ways at this point, but if Sessions had not recused himself, we would only be hearing about that. Why hasn't Jeff Sessions recused himself? Why is the person in charge of the investigation someone who was a surrogate for the Trump campaign? And it would be... It would be the national narrative right now if Sessions hadn't done that. Um, so I think that Sessions is just a convenient scapegoat. I think Trump is very mad that this whole Russia investigation scandal is ongoing, and he blames Sessions for that, not realizing that there was nothing that could have been done to prevent this from being such a scandal. Whether Sessions recused right. himself or not, um, this was going to be the national narrative regardless. So, speaking of people quitting, Sean Spicer left. He is the press secretary. It was it was a little sad, I gotta say. Um, he decided to leave because he vehemently disagreed with Trump appointing uh, Scaramucci. Scar- Scar- what's it? Scaramucci as the new White House communications director. Anthony Scaramucci, his name is. Um, Spicer has never liked this guy. He said, I don't want him in here. Trump brought him in here. So Spicer left. Um, Reince Priebus, the chief of staff, also hates this guy, but we'll get to that in a moment. Uh, First of all, I would just like to say goodbye to Sean Spicer by playing one of his greatest moments during his tenure as the press secretary. So farewell, Sean Spicer, and farewell to Melissa McCarthy's Sean Spicer as well. But in related news, so Scaramucci is now in. Trump really likes this guy. No political experience. Um, He's an investor. He's a banker. He's a very rich man. Um, He's been in this position as White House Communications Director 
for what maybe five days and by the way sarah huckabee sanders uh replaced spicer as press secretary so there's this new interview out this just broke before we started recording the new yorker got an interview with scaramucci in which he threatens to kill white house leakers in which he calls Priebus a fucking paranoid schizophrenic, a paranoiac. That was a quote. And where he talked about Steve Bannon by saying, I'm not Steve Bannon. I'm not trying to suck my own cock. I'm not trying to build my own brand off the fucking strength of the president. I'm here to serve the country. And then this interview t- took place moments before he tweeted Wednesday night a tweet that said in light of the leak of my financial disclosure info which is a felony I will be contacting FBI and the Justice Department hashtag swamp then he tagged Reince Priebus that tweet was seen as him and uh, there was the, the New Yorker guy confirmed Anthony Scaramucci was calling out Reince for being the leaker in the White House, the chief of staff. Now, Anthony deleted that tweet, but in this interview, you see him calling Reince a, quote, fucking paranoid schizophrenic. <laughs> this is all developing right now, but, like, guys, I think the White House communications director is off to a really bad start, and now we see why Sean Spicer left. I just... It's been only a couple of days, and I already miss... Sean Spicer. <laughs> I know. <laughs> it's so funny. But he had bad. so much foresight. Yeah, I he know. Knew that this would happen. But I don't really so. have much sympathy for him because it's like, okay, if this was the fucking moment when this White House mm-hmm. became too much for you, I'm not buying it. Um, and by the way, this interview with the New Yorker, he, he called the New Yorker because, because he wanted to ask the New Yorker reporter's source for a certain story. And he kept trying to get it out of the reporter. And of course, the reporter did not give him the source. You, because that's what you do. Journalists do not reveal their sources. That's why they have sources, because they know they can be kept secret. If you give away your sources, you're fucked. You're never getting another source the rest of your life. So Scaramucci was trying to get it out of him. And <laughs> that's, that's where this comment came about fucking killing any leaker in the White House. So it'll be interesting to see how long Scaramucci lasts. Um, BuzzFeed also says Reince is seriously considering leaving at this point. And Steve Bannon must be pissed too. I mean, Scaramucci says he likes to literally suck his own dick. I mean, he does. Yeah, but for it to be, for it to be exposed like this, it's just shocking. I'm going to play a clip now of Donald Trump. And I want you guys to tell me where he was speaking. But do you remember that incredible night with the maps? And the Republicans are red, and the Democrats are blue, and that map was so red, it was unbelievable, and they didn't know what to say. And you know, we have a tremendous disadvantage in the Electoral College. Popular vote is much easier. We have a trip because New York, California, Illinois, you have to practically run the East Coast. And we did. We won Florida. We won South Carolina. We won North Carolina. We won Pennsylvania. We won and won. So when they said there is no way to victory, there is no way to 270. You know, I went to Maine four times. Blah, 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 blah. So where was Trump saying this? At what event? Wasn't he at the Boy Scouts thing? That's absolutely right. You wouldn't have guessed it, though, if you didn't know that story. So Trump used a speech at the Jamboree filled with young Boy Scouts to continue talking about how amazing his win was in the election and how rock hard it still makes him. And he was calling out Hillary. He was calling out Obama saying, by the way, has Obama ever been here to the National Jamboree? And by the way, he was in 2010. But the kids were all like, ah, ha, 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 clapping, you know, hating on Obama. 
Anyway, um, the Boy Scouts have been taking some shit for this because they didn't expect this to happen. And if you watch this video, Trump is not looking at the teleprompters. You can see that. Um, so today, the chief scout executive for the Boy Scouts of America apologized. He said, I want to extend, extend my sincere apologies to those in our scouting family who were offended by the political rhetoric that was inserted into the jamboree. For years, people have called upon us to take a position on political issues, and we have steadfastly remained nonpartisan and refused to comment on political matters. We sincerely regret that politics were inserted into the scouting program. So that's a pretty strong statement against what the president did by the Boy Scouts. What do you even say? (laughs) I'm just like, oh, there there he goes again. I mean, I know if I would have been there as a Boy Scout, I would have been pissed. I was in the Boy Scouts. My dad was active in the Boy Scouts with me. If we were sitting there listening to Trump go on about this shit, I mean, you hear a lot of applause in the crowd, but I think it's just the kids being kids feeding into Trump. I, I mean, know. they they sensed they sensed a fellow child up on that stage, <laughs> right? <laughs> and so, moving into less politics heavy news, however, still very heavy news. Um, The CDC has determined that half of all female homicide victims are killed by their intimate partners. Um, The CDC has come out and labeled this a public health problem. When you have half of all females being killed by their boyfriends, husbands, and other other kinds of domestic partners. Um, So I guess my first question is like, does this surprise, does this statistic surprise you guys? No, not at all. I was already, I, I, I was aware that this was the case. I didn't quite realize that it was that high of a number, but I knew that it was a significant portion. It makes sense in some fucked up, twisted, tragic way because a lot of, a lot of crimes, particularly homicides, are, are crimes of passion. And, um, and by, which is, I'm not being insensitive. That's like an actual criminal term to mean like crimes that are conducted against people because there's like high, heavy emotions involved. Um, So uh, sadly, sadly, I'm not surprised by this at all. I'd be curious to learn what the numbers are in reverse, though, because it's not as though men and women have inherently different, you know, emotions or different anything. Um, so I'd be curious, I'd be curious to know if the whole crime of passion, um, rationale holds true in reverse. Are female partners just as likely or just as responsible for male homicides? I don't think that's true, but I, uh, would be interested to learn that. Yeah, the CDC would tell you no, um, because they also found that 98% of the perpetrators of partner homicide are male. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. It, it, <clears throat> it seems like whenever you're reading about a shooting, most of the time it involves a guy, a guy committing the crime. Yeah. Well, men are far more likely to be involved in homicide or far more likely to commit homicide than women. Um, but I also wanted yeah. to to point out... Unless you're O.J. Simpson. <laughs> Right, if I did it. <laughs> um, I also wanted to point out that what's really interesting about this is that the reports found that this isn't isolated to any particular racial or ethnic group. Um, however, there are uh, some different percentages here. The women who are at highest risk for homicide related to partner violence are Hispanic women at 61%. Um, and that overall, in terms of just general homicide, Black and Indigenous women face the highest homicide rates. Um, so this kind of factors into something that is, is a completely separate discussion about how minority women tend to be more likely to be victims of homicide than anyone else. Um, and it's really interesting to see that sort of parse together with partner violence, especially considering that partner violence accounts for so many female deaths. Um, what, like, how, I, I don't know, like, I just, I guess my question is, like, Elisa, like, as a female, like, how does this make you feel? <laughs> it doesn't change my, it doesn't change my personal feelings a whole lot, because frankly, I was already scared 
I remember back when I was doing my OK Cupid days. This is this is a true story, uh, and it's going to sound crazy, and it's going to make me sound paranoid, but I'll tell it because I think it really reflects how a lot of how a lot of women feel, particularly about dating. Um, my current boyfriend, who I love and adore, but of course, when you meet someone new, you don't know that yet. When he came over to my apartment for the very first time, we had only known each other for about uh, maybe four weeks, and we had only gone on one other date. So it was only our second time meeting, and he was coming over, and my roommate was not home, and I don't have anyone in the area at all to call. My nearest family is like two hours away. So I was scared. Frankly, I was excited as anyone is with a new date, but I was fucking terrified um, of men in general, particularly in a dating scenario. So I actually grabbed like a giant butcher knife from the kitchen and I hid it underneath of the cushions of my couch because I wanted to have easy, quick access to a weapon in case something tragic happened. Um, I. I I know that probably sounds crazy. It makes me it sound really paranoid, but like I I've just had too many close calls in in my dating experience and I've seen and and known too many people who have been raped or brutalized and and um I just wanted to protect myself. I also told Laura about it. I was like, "Listen, he's coming here between these hours." If you don't hear from me by this time, call the police. Like, seriously, it's it's real. It makes sense. It it sounds crazy hearing you say it, but it also makes sense. No, I have to say, I've done the same thing with pretty much every date I've ever gone on. I've always texted Elisa and been like, hey, I'm going on a date. I'm going, I'm going to be at this location. If you don't hear from me by this time, like, call my parents, call the police, call somebody. Um, and with with my current boyfriend, um, who I also adore, uh, I met him through a dating site. And on that dating site, I had said that I lived in a town 30 miles from where I actually lived. And the reason I did that was because I'd had a prior occasion on OkCupid where I'd been talking to somebody who got really pissy that I stopped talking to him. And he started like, because we lived in the same town, he started like threatening to find me and like talking about stalking me and like looking for my phone number in the, in the, in the yellow pages and stuff. Um, so I started lying about where I lived. And for the first month that Mark and I were dating, he legitimately thought that I lived in Alpharetta, which is not where I lived. And I kind of forgot that I had lied about it until one day when he, he brought it up, he was like, Oh yeah, you have to go all the way back to Alpharetta. And I was like, oh, yeah, by the way, that's not where I live. And he was like, what? And like, we kind of laughed about it a little bit. But when I explained to him why that was, he totally got it. And he was like, wow, I'm I'm so sorry that men are garbage. Um, But yeah, it's it's a real fucking thing. And it's it's scary. It's like Louis C.K. says he's like, you know, the worst thing that can happen to a man on a date is like you go out and like. The girl, like, you find her unattractive or the conversation's not good or you just don't like her. The worst thing that can happen to a woman on a date is that you can be fucking murdered. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, that that joke, quote unquote, was so real. I remember, I remember seeing yeah. that in one of his specials and it really hit home for me. I mean, another example from my own life is that, and again, bringing this back to the original point, which is that half of all female homicide victims are killed by intimate partners. When I went to break up with a previous boyfriend who I had been with for a fair bit of time, um, my mother's advice to me was she, she made me promise that I would do it in some sort of public setting because she didn't want him to get angry and lash out and get violent. And to be clear, there was zero history of that zero history of that zero reason to think or to fear for that other than this statistic and and knowing that um females are far more likely to be on the receiving end of that even when there isn't necessarily a history oftentimes 
you don't see it coming. And there's just, sometimes they just snap. Yeah. And um, we're going to move on here in a minute, but I, I did want to make sure that I mention this particular study doesn't even include trans women. And that that is a completely right other issue. I mean, there there are tons of other factors involved there, but I just didn't want to leave this discussion without at least bringing them up that that trans women and also just trans people in general are killed violently in shocking numbers. And oftentimes we don't hear about them. And I really wish, like my one critique of this, I love that the CDC came out and did this, but I really would have loved if they had given some special attention to the trans community because I feel like there are, while there are some differences, there are quite a few similarities here. And I think we would all benefit from hearing about those. To get back to your original question, I do agree it's mostly an act of passion because you have to think about like how, why, why are you killing? What are you doing this for? Either you're extremely beyond fucked up in the head to kill like a random person or you're doing it because in your mind, there is a good reason to do it. Would you two ever kill anybody? I fucking hope not. <laughs> okay. Just checking. I mean, Never only you. you. Before, so I thought. Only you. <laughs> Sometimes I do deserve to be killed. I want to bring up though. And I'm That's glad we have true. this evidence now. That is if, if not I if I'm ever murdered, they're gonna turn to this episode. That's not true at all. It's I know that we've been talking about this in the context of crimes of passion, but the other thing that I wanted to bring up are the gender dynamics that are at play here and the fact that so many men think that they're just entitled to female attention. This statistic doesn't just include long-term relationships and marriages. This statistic includes cases like the one that happened last year where the young girl was in a club and a man asked her to dance and she said no. And his response was to take her outside and kill her. Yeah. Because he thought that and, he was entitled I, I to her time and her body and her attention. And this is, and to be clear, you know, again, that's why, you know, the, the crime of passion arguments often used. And I think there's a lot of truth and legitimacy to that. But like I said, you know, if you flip the genders, are the homicide rates just as bad? No, they're not. Um, and I think they're like, to Laura's point, there is a reason for that. And by the way, this is not because men are inherently more violent than women. It's not because there's something wrong with men. And it's, it's none of that, you know, it's, it's, it's none of that. It, this is not to say that men are psychopaths and crazy. It's because of how we as a society socialize men. It's how we raise men. It's not that there's anything inherently different or wrong about them, period. It's that we socialize men to think that they are entitled to women's time uh, and to their attention, and that when they don't get it, it's acceptable to have a res to have an angry response. My response when I like someone and they reject me is to get real fucking sad <laughs> and self reflective, um, not to get pissed off. Um, and I think that that is the difference, and we need to socialize men better from a younger age. Agreed. Yeah, I mean. I'm thinking back to our ex-friend, Ben, who couldn't stand that mm -hmm. a girl was trying to push him away on the internet. And he kept poking and poking and poking. And then he played the victim. Okay. Uh, you know, there are many pillar pillars in journalism today, and I'm just reading this new report from The Onion. This is real. They've already fact-checked Anthony Scaramucci's New Yorker interview. On the quotes, I'm not Steve Bannon. I'm not trying to suck my own cock. The Onion says this statement is true. Scaramucci understands that true inner peace comes from accepting one's flaws and only very rarely sucking oneself off. <laughs> <laughs> so The Onion has fact-checked the full interview. You could check it out on theonion.com. Right up there with CNN. Very fast fact-checking. I was very impressed by this quick turnaround. Um, would you guys ever travel anywhere for an ios game like like pokemon go you know you go around town to collect pokemon but would you fly to another city to participate in the first annual pokemon go fest 
I mean, I flew to another city for a Harry Potter convention on multiple occasions, so I guess nothing's ruled out. Okay. Well, unlike the Harry Potter cons that we've been to, Pokemon Go Fest ended up being a major disaster. So thousands of fucking losers, <laughs> I'm sorry, I mean uh, players, showed up in Chicago in this park to play Pokemon, to participate in Pokemon Go Fest because they were unveiling new Pokemon at the festival. And we all know what happens when thousands of people crowd in a confined area. All of our phones go down because there's too many phones jamming the local phone network towers. This happens all the time. I know in West Hollywood, the Pride Parade, if you if you go down to LA Pride and bring your phone, don't even bring your phone. Your phones just don't work. So this happened at Pokemon Go Fest, and this was a particular problem there because people need their phone's data <laughs> to use Pokemon Go. But nobody could get their internet to work. There were also long lines getting in. They couldn't get these rare Pokemon. They they had flown across the country to to capture. I I jokingly called them losers. I Laura, well, the three of us know somebody who went to one of these. John Thrasher. Oh yeah, he, he did. He flew to Chicago for this. Yeah, he wrote a report for Hypable about it. Actually, comparing it to the Fire Festival, that disaster down in the Caribbean or wherever the hell that was. Um, so so Niantic the organizers of the events and the people who created the app they have offered all attendees $100 worth of poka coins and they are refunding their tickets and they made the area where they could capture the rare pokemon a little wider but can you imagine flying somewhere and then not being able to capture the pokemon that you flew to capture like i would be gutted <laughs> i would just go get a facial <laughs> from john <laughs> from john yes i wanted to um sort of play a new game it's a spinoff of the number okay it's called the state mm, boy this state is where donald trump currently has the highest approval rating hmm. and you can uh we also got number two here so you got you two know, chances. You know, I was too. my instinct is to sort of say Alabama, but that's where Jeff Sessions is from, so probably not anymore. <laughs> I'm gonna say Kansas. How about you, Elisa? I'm gonna say Nebraska. All right. Uh, unfortunately, both wrong. The number one state, Trump's approval rating is highest with sixty um, percent, is West Virginia. <laughs> Oh, God. Coal country. Yes, truck driver. Coal country. Exactly. <laughs> it makes sense. Um, and then state number two is South Dakota with oh, 57%. Yep. There's like three people yep. there. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. It's North Dakota. I, I've confused <gasps> my Dakotas. North Dakota is number two, but South oh, Dakota is number three. So, <laughs> Andrew, you just um, offended yeah, so all 10 people who live across those states. Don't show up in those states or else... Uh, supporting hillary don't don't walk into one of those states with a copy of what happened <laughs> they won't want to see that there i would actually love to there she goes hillary shilton making excuses again i kind of fantasize a little bit about going to a place that's you know heavily populated by trump supporters because i just want to i just want to ask them genuinely i'm not trying to be snarky i'm not trying to prove a point I want to know genuinely, what is it? What is it? What is it about him that you still like? Even his campaign promises, the things that you claim to vote for, he's backed out of half of those and has failed to accomplish the other half. So I'm just so, I'm just so curious. What, what could your possible answer be? Well, your chance is coming genuine... in September. <laughs> <laughs> Head outside of the, that city, city line and you'll get some answers. I genuinely think people are A, stupid, B, brainwashed, which is related to A, and C, they just want to give him as many excuses as possible. They like that he's different. They like that he's bad because it's different. They think he's actually going to shake up Washington still because so much bad is happening. Maybe the thought is, well, this is such a wreck. A, a, uh, a phoenix is going to come through these ashes, right? 
I think it's a combination of those things. But uh, you let us know what you find when you go down there to Georgia. Let's play devil's advocate. So, one of the biggest pieces of news this week was, again, Sean Spicer leaving. I want to hear you guys argue in favor of Spicy staying. I want and, and yeah, I want you to do it like you're talking to him. I want you to tell Sean Spicer why we need him in our lives, why the White House needs him. Are you ready for this? Sure. Yeah, sure. By the way, Elisa, do you have your retainer in right now? Because boy, can I hear it. No, I actually I don't, but I was eating a cheese it, so Oh, that's it. <laughs> I'm sorry. I have I have like a wad of fucking Cheez-Its stuck to the roof of my mouth. And it's just delicious, but I had to start talking before I could finish chewing. Okay. So Okay. Two minutes on the clock. Let's start with you, Laura. Go. All right, Sean, we gotta talk. We really need you to stay, mainly because you are an incredible convincing just stand up perfect punching bag we haven't been able to find one quite as good as you you do such a great job standing up there day after day taking all of those questions from the press getting browbeaten about all the president's tweets and having to try and decipher them and 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 convey some sort of meaning behind those tweets to the press, trying to make it sound to them as though the president is not suffering from a severe psychosis. That, my friend, takes talent. I just don't think there's anyone else in the industry who's going to be able to do it quite like you, especially the way that you infantilize the press. That's perfect. Mm-hmm. Sarah Huckabee Sanders, Yeah, that's good. She, she ain't got nothing on you. I mean, she's got that sweet southern drawl and her dad's eyes and everything, but... But too much respect. Too much respect for the media. She, you know, it's very clear to us that you have nothing but contempt for these people. And it seems like they share that sentiment for you. So we feel like you're pretty evenly matched. You're a good pairing. And we'd love to see you continue to stand up there and just take punches for the president. Serve as SNL fodder so they don't make fun of him too much. Because, you know, when they make fun of Donald too much, it makes him really unhappy. And it makes the rest of our lives difficult. Because then he tweets about banning transgender people from the military. It's just not good. So we'd really appreciate it if you'd continue standing up there, taking those punches for the country, but mostly for Donald. You did it. I did it. It was hard. Oh my god, I won't stop. I won't stop. Oh god. By the way, you didn't say it at the end of your speech, but this just reminded me that at the end of Trump's transgender rant on Twitter, he ended it with, (laughs) thank thank you. you. (laughs) (laughs) You're welcome, Donald. Thank you. No, thank you, Donald. (laughs) Thank you. What the fuck? Oh, that was the greatest thing. It was like if he slipped in some little nicety at the end, we would suddenly forget that he was a horrible human. Yeah. (laughs) It's like a statement. Live televised statement from the Oval Office. Thank you and God bless America. (laughs) Live tweeting. All right, Andrew, go ahead. All right. Greetings, Mr. Spicer. It is an honor and a privilege to talk with you. I believe that by staying in the White House as press secretary of these United States, you will, your fame will only grow. You will receive more attention with every passing day. With every comparison you make to Hitler, you grow in popularity. Think of the book deals. That money you will receive for writing that first book, those contracts, those deals will will only rise in money for you. Because you will be continue to come become a star. One one day you'll be surpassing Hillary's book deals. And you can go on these tours and people will call your name at Barnes and Noble. They'll yell, Sean, Sean, Sean. And you'll have flashbacks to those days in the White House briefing room. It'll feel like you're back there again. And you'll feel good. 
because you stuck it out. You fought. You fought for Donald Trump. And here's the thing. You align with Donald Trump. Sarah Huckabee Sanders does not. Mm-hmm. You, like mm-hmm. him, can't speak. You, <laughs> like him, are plump. You, like him, have bad jokes. You embody Donald Trump. And that's why he selected you. When you speak at that podium, you're speaking to an audience of one, as they say on CNN. You are talking to please the president. And he just loves you for that. I don't think Sarah will ever be able to do that. She'll be bleeding out of her wherever. She'll be bleeding from her (laughs) recent facelifts. She'll be too busy trying to get rid of that Tic Tac smell out of her face because you were just because Donald was just breathing in it. Oh man, that was it. Oh man, that I was it. Where to go? <laughs> I really he's enjoyed, a national treasure. I really enjoyed the whole Donald made you in his image <laughs> argument. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, really, that's 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 what it is. I like that you called them both plump. Like, <laughs> that's such an old word to use in, in an era where we're, like, just calling the president every name in the book. You're like, mm, you know what? Fucking fat ass. Fat, fat would be a bridge too far. I'm not going to disrespect the <laughs> office. I'm going to go with Plum. <laughs> Plum's a nice Well, I was speaking to Sean directly to him, so I had to be nice about it. All right. Very good. Anything else you would add to ours, Elisa? No, I I can't top I can't top plump and he made you in his image. Not gonna do it. <laughs> Once that plump man got a uh, whiff of your cheese at breath, I think he would listen to anything you'd have to say. Fuck yeah! <laughs> oh my god, they're white cheddar. I'm just saying. Mm, I love white cheddar. Anything. Yeah. Well, I think that uh, these guys would only want the white ones. If you know what I mean. <laughs> true <laughs> well it's been a fun episode thanks everybody for listening we're not done yet though coming up on after dark over on patreon.com slash millennial we're going to be talking about donald trump potentially vetoing the russian sanctions bill it passed in the senate uh except for everyone voted yes except for rand and bernie uh lauren at least think he might veto it i don't think he will so we can go ahead and debate that in after dark also, we're going to have a little fun unrelated to politics. We're going to talk about um, relationship, certain relationship questions. Like what, Laura? Um, things like, have you ever had phone sex? Have you ever refused hmm. to do something sexually while in bed or wherever you were hooking up? And a number of other uncomfortable oh, relationship God. questions. There's oh, also man. this question here. Andrew, tell us more about Kyle. Yes. I mean... <laughs> why didn't you ask me last episode but okay well you guys ask me questions and i'll answer okay he did say something to me the other day yeah i was i was um surprised you were shook i don't know i was no well yeah yes in a good way i was cute anyway thanks everybody <laughs> for listening <laughs> play us out cute what? I yeah, it shook in a cute way. You guys don't even know what shook means. You mean like I didn't know what a facial was? Yeah, exactly. Thank you, everybody, for listening. I'm Andrew. I'm Elisa. And I'm Laura. See you ready next time. Goodbye. Goodbye.